Okay, I think we're on. Uh, could I just take a roll call? I think I see Natalie there. Natalie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Great, glad you could uh, connect. And I think I saw Parthop, are you there? I'm here. And Jerry? Yes, I'm here, Casey. Okay, I don't think we have um, uh, Tina coming today. And I saw Tanya, so I think we can, we have the staff that we need at least to do the consent agenda. I was gonna ask for a moment of silence uh, to acknowledge the passing of Natalie's uh, mother last week. So uh, could we have a moment of silence? Thank you, I really appreciate that. And uh, we wanna welcome Natalie uh, back to the board meetings. It's nice to have you, Natalie. Thank you, guys. Uh, let's proceed with the consent agenda. Could I get a motion on the record, Platts? Uh, Jerry Sushi, I make a motion on the record, Platts, adopt. This do is uh, Pratap Verma. I'll do a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. Uh, okay, moving into the consent items, could we get a motion on the proposed amendments to the water and uh, sewer systems plan uh, category map? Uh, make a motion to approve with the recommendation from the staff. Pratap Verma. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Uh, that's approved. Uh, and I would just uh, note, uh, for those of you who might not have uh, considered it, that we are moving some of these uncontroversial water and sewer category change requests to the consent agenda uh, from now on. This is the first time we've done that, uh, where there's no opposition and there's no reason to believe that they're uh, contentious, we're handling that as consent. If anybody from the public or the board wanted to talk about any of them, they're noticed and uh, in the uh, planning board agenda published uh, 10 days in advance so people can raise whatever concerns they have and we take them off the consent agenda if anybody wanted to talk about them. Just wanted to point that out. Uh, could we get a motion on approval of the minutes from April 23rd? Uh, Jerry Sushi, move approval. Prathap Verma, second. All in favor? Abstain. Uh, yes, Natalie wasn't here, so all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? And one abstention from Natalie. Uh, okay, we are going to jump off of this call and dial in or to either the Teams meeting or the phone number, whichever you want, uh, to go into closed session. But first, I need a motion to go into closed session to consult with counsel to obtain legal advice. Could I get a motion on that? Uh, Jerry says you motion to go in closed session. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That is approved. So I'll see or hear you all in a minute on the closed session call.
Okay, we're ready to go with item three, the commander of naming policy, and I'm going to turn it over to Adrian Gardner. Adrian, well, good morning, Mr. Chair. Um, members of the board, for the record, this is Adrian Gardner. Uh, I'm going to share my screen now to provide you with a brief presentation on this item. So, Mr. Chairman, um, again, good morning. Uh, the legal department uh, several uh, weeks ago or months ago was tasked with the idea of reviewing the, policy, the, the uh, planning board's policy on naming, commemorative naming in particular. I want to make it clear Adrian, that we're not, does saying, not include... we're not seeing your screen. Okay. We, we see you with that awesome courtroom background you've got going. Oh, well, thank you. That's the Court of Appeals. But I prefer to share. Uh, Dominique has it, if you want to have her show it. Uh, Dominique, do you, would you like to do that? Yeah, she'll take care of that. Okay. Give, give her one second. And you can just tell her when you want to advance the slide. Okay. Okay, uh, next slide. So our mission was to review the, the planning board's existing policy on commemorative naming and in particular um, to identify trends and potential best practices. Um, it's important to realize that one of the things that we are not discussing is naming or sponsorship transactions that involve the existing MOU and the trust agreement with the Parks Foundation uh, you'll generally recall that those transactions are designed to, to find partnerships and uh, naming opportunities that support the park system um, as part of a, a, of a financial approach. Um, the way that we approached our assignment was to, first of all, establish the legal standards that apply in this scenario, uh, which are described in the memo. We also reviewed a very broad collection of, of dozens of policies collected from the NRPA, which is the National Recreation and Parks Association database, and did a number of, uh, and did a significant amount of um, initial research, uh, of original research as well. Next slide. Um, just to give you a flavor of some of the things that we reviewed, we did, look, at, we did look at the statutes and the rules that uh, regard the National Park Service um, and looked at some of our peers in the neighborhood uh, in the general vicinity as well as a number of jurisdictions across the country. Next slide. Based on our research, we sort of found four key parameters that we used as benchmarks to evaluate um, the aspects of our naming policy that we'll go into uh, briefly. One is the treatment of naming for individuals and whether or not it is uh, favored or disfavored. Uh, we reviewed uh, when policies allowed naming for individuals, whether or not their contribution to civic life uh, was tied to specific activities, um, being a nature or the object of the individual's contribution to civic life, whether naming was allowed prior to someone's uh, death, and the last thing is sort of the quality or the quantum of their contribution to civic life. Next slide. And on the next slide, I'm going to ask uh, Kristen Manival to, to briefly go through 
um, the comparison between our existing policy and the proposed policy. And you'll note that the uh, highlighted language in the proposed policy focuses on the four elements that uh, I just described in the previous um, discussion. Good morning, commissioners. This is Kristen Manivel, Senior Counsel on the Transactions Practice Team at OGC. I'm going to go through these four elements that Adrian discussed, and this chart that we prepared for you shows in the second column what you have in your existing commemorative naming policy, and the, the final column is what we were proposing to you for consideration in the new policy. So the four elements uh, that we looked at are going down the left-hand column, and I'll take them one at a time. The first one is uh, we looked at all these other policies, uh, up to 30, I think, as to whether they uh, had a prohibition or a preference or a disfavor uh, to allow a park asset to be named for an individual vis-a-vis -vis naming a park asset for an aspect of geography, like a local landmark, a stream, lake, mountain, et cetera. And so on this topic, in your existing policy, you have no preference to name um, for geography over naming after an individual. As we looked at the 30 or so different uh, policies from around the country as far as, you know, California, Texas, et cetera, we found that many of the policies did have a preference uh, for naming after geographical or ecological features. And I, I think that's probably because those are familiar to people who live in the community. They associate um, the such and such lake, they know where that is, and then they can deduce that the park which bears that lake's name must be in that area. Um, so in our proposal, uh, we ask you to consider um, thinking about a preference for naming after geographical or ecological features. Um, in fact, we use a strong encouragement to do so. And the suggestion that you consider commemorative naming after a person only in exceptional circumstances if, if certain conditions are met. Going to the second row. Uh, just, you know, uh, Jerry, especially on the first one, geographical, does that also include like the name of communities, Wheaton or something sure. like that? Yes. Okay, that's, that falls under geographical. Yes, yes sir. Great, thank you. Second row is the nature or object of the civic contribution. As we looked at policies from around the country, we were focusing in on whether if a, if a park asset was to be named for an individual, whether the individual had to have uh, had particular service or dedication to the park system itself or could be notable in some other way. For example, a person was a superintendent of, of local schools. In your existing policy, the civic contribution uh, for which um, a, a naming can be made could be public service and support of parks, trails, or open space, or to the county or MNCPPC in general, or in furtherance of the mission of parks and land conservation. Uh, as we reviewed other policies, we saw that Parks departments were trying to more narrowly limit the civic contribution that was recognized to that um, in support of the park asset, the park system itself, or trails. And so we were recommending that you think about more closely tying a naming for uh, commemorative naming 
to a contribution that's closely related to the park system as opposed to a contribution that an individual made on the countywide basis that could have been in another area, such as, for example, schools. In the third row, we looked at whether um, a person, a park asset could be named for a person who was still living or had to be named for a person who was deceased. So uh, around the country, there's a variety in how this is treated, but we do see that um, many park systems have gone with the policy of naming an asset only after a person is deceased and having a, a sort of waiting period, um, a, a number of years after the person is deceased before a, a proposal can be made to name a park asset after that person. That may be because um, just like other institutions, universities and so on, people are waiting to, to make sure they know what the legacy is of the deceased person before they jump uh, right in and, and name a park asset after them. So we're, we're recommending that you uh, consider, if you are going to do commemorative naming for an individual, that the person be deceased and have been deceased for a number of years. We suggested five years. You, you can discuss that, of course. Finally, the quality of the individual's civic contribution. Uh, your current policy already has a number of uh, adjectives that we can pluck out that um, say how important the person has to have been. For example, they, in your current policy, they uh, have had to have performed extraordinary public service. They have to have been an outstanding community leader who made significant, significant contributions and or they were an outstanding regional or statewide leader who significantly furthered the mission of parks and land conservation. So in our proposed policy, again, we, we looked across the country to see what other groups were doing. Um, those, those qualities, uh, we, we do recommend keeping um, those types of qualities so that we're commemorating only the most um, worthy individuals who have given, in our suggestion, exemplary level of of service, and we included um, a standard for you to consider. It's the exceptional level of support for the park asset, park system, or related trails. And we went ahead and provided, you know, a definition of what exceptional level of support would mean. So, a sustained contribution to the civic uh, community during that person's life that involved making personal sacrifices, which have, in order to the benefit of people who are in Montgomery County. So um, as a final note, I think we added um, uh, support from community leaders to name such a park asset after an exemplary individual. And the support would come from um, both people in the local vicinity of, of that park and countywide. I think now I'll turn it back over to Adrian. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. And we'll take the next slide. So. That is very what, I have a couple of questions on that one if you go back. Yeah, on the on the individual deceased, the five is there any sense of if you go uh ten years or twenty years twenty years may have people the person may have been forgotten. Is that a good threshold of five years from other parks around the country? That's kind of the there, that's kind of the point. Like, if you've if you've been forgotten in five or ten or twenty years, maybe you shouldn't have a park named after you because you're really not that significant. Seriously. Okay. 
Like that's, that's no, I, I understand. You want that. So that's the best judgment. The five, your recommendation is five is about the best judgment on time. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in the last point that you mentioned, uh, kind of support, is there a specific requirement uh, that the county council? You muted yourself, Jerry. Yeah, my question was if uh, we have to go to the county council to get approval, if we're intending to name it after, they might well support the person, but do we have to officially get their approval to do that? My view would be no, because this authority sort of inheres in the ability and the operating of the park system itself. And in fact, what you're exercising today is authority that belongs to the commission, but has been delegated uh, to the planning board for this purpose because um, it is considered to be one of the local functions of the commission. So the answer to the question is no. Okay, and you, and you say delegated to the planning board. That's from the bi-county commission to the individual uh, planning boards. Okay, thank you. Correct, Commissioner. So with that, um, we're suggesting that you consider it and questions, comments, and per, you know, and any personal attacks are now in order. Happy to answer any other further questions. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Or a motion? I'm a This is Natalie. I'll second it, Jerry Sushi. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Uh, opposed, and that passes unanimously. And we can stay on this uh, same Zoom call, or Teams call, rather, for the next item. We will excuse ourselves, Mr. Chairman. Everybody have a great day. Thanks very much Thank to you. Kristen, especially yeah. for her work on this item. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. So, um, I we believe a, the next it, item is the planning directors. Hi. Hello. See you all. Um, I have a brief planning director's report for you, and, uh, and then we have a, a brief budget transfer item. Um, in my uh, last planning director's report, I talked a little bit about how we have been able to keep things moving on our regulatory cases during this um, really uh, challenging and uh, uh, unprecedented time. What I wanted to talk about uh, this uh, week was how we've kept some of our major non-regulatory work program items going during this difficult time. Um, the first thing that I want to mention is that we are continuing to be recognized on a really national level in terms of our experiences with dealing with Vision Zero in the suburb. Uh, our team was invited to participate in and did participate in a webinar on April 30th um, done by InfraDay uh, that does a series of conferences on infrastructure and transportation. And they had a day-long conference uh, that included people like the Vice President of Transurban, the uh, 
capital program director of the Yale University Office of Facilities. We had a lot of uh, a lot of interesting um, uh, colleagues uh, and people who are also on different aspects of this webinar. But our team was asked to present to this national audience on advancing Vision Zero in the suburbs. And I'm very, very pleased that uh, Jesse Cohen, Jessica McVary, and Marin Hill uh, joined Wade Holland, who is the Vision Zero coordinator in the county government, on a panel on this topic. And my understanding is that um, it was very, very well received. And again, that's great news that we're still getting out our message and our work to this national audience. Um, many of our staff also last week, towards the end of the week, participated in the um, American Planning Association convert, conversion of their national conference, which we were planning to go to in Houston, but which was canceled, and they did a virtual three-day conference. And we had about uh, 12 of our employees um, listen to sessions, and I'm hoping that some of them may want to uh, come back and, and report to our larger group about what they learned and do, uh, do some lunch and learn. So again, we are continuing our, our participation in um, various national forums. Um, we, speaking of, of Vision Zero, though, I did want to mention, um, and you've probably already heard this, but I'll say it again because you can't have too much good news. Uh, the Viers Mill Corridor Master Plan was recognized by the APA County Planning Division and the National Association of County Planners with an award of merit in the Small Area Plan Special Planning Area category. And it, they said in their award that it demonstrated innovative planning pr principles and measures that create sustainable communities that have lasting value. So congratulations to uh, the whole team who worked on that. Uh, and the project lead was uh, Jessica McVary. And um, congratulations to all of them on that award. Um, uh, Jerry, can I, can I make a yeah. comment? Sure. Uh, when you all do a substantial study like uh, Aspen Hill, looking at the Vision Zero issues and Beers Mill Road, again, uh, you work closely with MCDOT, but to me, if you've identified some critical issues, they almost should be kind of programmed in a overall safety or uh, MCDOT Vision Zero, uh, you know, PDF or something. Is that something that you're working on or? Can explain how that happens, given their award-winning and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Gwen, you're muted. Right. Well, we're continuing to work very, very closely with um, Montgomery County DOT to implement the ideas in both the Viers Mill Plan and in Aspen Hill. We have talked with the director of DOT, Chris Conklin, about setting up a specific fund for uh, CIP projects that are related to Vision Zero. He has not agreed to that at this time. He has not um, felt that that uh, was something that they uh, could do because they do have 
funds that relate to Vision Zero in so many different aspects of their CIP budget. But um, we have mentioned that idea to him, and we have, uh, you know, I think he is committed to working with us to continue trying to, um, to implement a lot of these ideas. It, one of the things that I'm going to be mentioning a little later is um, a, a program that we're calling Advancing the Pike District. And in that program, we're working right now with DOT and State Highway on some specific short-term projects that may be done to improve the area of 355 um, and Old Georgetown Road. So we are looking at implementation. Uh, you know, as you well know, we are not the implementation agency, but we work very hard uh, and develop close relationships with those implementation agencies to uh, try to encourage them to to move forward on some of our recommendations. Uh, that is commendable. I understand the difference, but uh, back in the day, we. Coming money, money coming out of the operating budget can be difficult for those type of safety improvements, but we were able to like flag, you know, spot guardrail, spot intersection, spot signal, spot safety, you know, uh, aid, you know, the uh, people with disabilities, the ramps, and all that. So sometimes support out of the council could be helpful in giving them a specific uh, Vision Zero PDF that could attack systematically. Uh, you know, Aspen Hill, Viers Mill Road, et cetera, and give them a particular fund that could implement it. So something to consider. So other projects that are going on include um, our subdivision staging policy, which you all will be seeing uh, in the form of uh, initial recommendations on uh, May 28th. Um, <clears throat> we have been developing recommendations over the last several weeks. Uh, the staff has been hard at work. Um, and we are um, trying to, to hone them to be ready to present to the board. Uh, in that effort, uh, we have worked with um, ULI, and they helped us assemble an advisory panel to take a look at those initial recommendations and give us feedback and, and um, some perspective based upon their experiences uh, on um, adequate public facility efforts on a national basis. So we are, um, I think, going to come up with some very innovative ideas and hopefully uh, you all will uh, feel good about them and we'll be able to to move forward. Again, the, the, the SSP has to be um, voted on by the um, county council by uh, early November. So uh, we're moving ahead very um, expeditiously on that project. Uh, Thrive Montgomery continues to move along. We want to thank Commissioners uh, Parthop Verma and Chair Casey Anderson for participating in one of our first virtual outreach efforts, Pints with a Planner Happy Hour. And I think there was some great discussion um, with uh, that um, outreach effort. We have uh, a whole series of outreach efforts 
coming up in the next month. Uh, we're calling them Ask Me Anything, and um, I and, and some other members of the um, of the Thrive Montgomery team will be there. Uh, first one's on May 15th at 8 a.m., May 18th from 12 to 1, May 20th from 7 to 8, and May 23rd from 2 to 3 uh, in the afternoon. And in all of these, there will be a sort of presentation, but a lot of opportunity for people to simply ask questions and to um, have a dialogue about where uh, things are moving with Thrive Montgomery. Um, I will also uh, mention again the Advancing the Pike District event that um, Advancing the Pike District is something that the board has been briefed on, uh, but we're going to be having a virtual meeting with the community on May 19th from 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, we continue to think about all the ways to uh, get participation during this, again, very uh, challenging time for the pedestrian master plan. We have started promoting the plan with um, signs in English and Spanish along some of the um, roads that have been closed to provide better pedestrian and bicycle uh, access, such as um, Beach Drive, Sligo Creek Parkway, and Little Falls Parkway. Uh, and those, uh, thanks to our colleagues in parks, have uh, special closed to cars hours and my understanding, they've been heavily used by pedestrians and bicyclists, so we thought that was a good way to reach out to people who are interested in uh, the pedestrian issue of pedestrian safety. Um, the last thing that I'll mention is that it is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month uh, in May, and uh, this year's theme is Unite Our Nation by Empowering Quality. And we have, again, virtual events to celebrate this important um, theme. And uh, the first event is this coming Friday from 12 noon to 1.30. And it's going to feature our uh, new executive director, Asuntha Cheng-Smith, and Commissioner Parthap Verma. Verma. And so we're looking forward to hearing about their life journeys and experiences and um, what their, uh, their ideas and issues and thoughts are that they'd like to share with us. Um, and I believe that is the end of our planning director's report, unless anyone has questions. Are there any questions? This is... Uh, First off, Verma, I just had a quick uh, comment. Uh, it's kind of related to the Pikes District advancing that project. But uh, on a separate note, I saw this morning that uh, looks like Lord and Taylor may not be opening um, because of uh, the effects of COVID-19. So that might be something to put on our radar on, you know, I know it's outside the boundaries of the Pike and Rose District, but I think it would be, uh, such a large uh, tract of land, and then there were talks about a future of Mark Station potentially there, and obviously that was 
Uh, I don't know if it was ever officially announced, but I, I know that was rumored to be the uh, the Amazon site. Um, so I think that's something that should be on our radar as well. Uh, you know, as much as I hate to see any business close, uh, we all know that that wasn't uh, serving that property as well as could have. So I think that's something we should be tracking. Um, yes, there, there's a significant... Um, sketch plan that's been approved for that site. Uh, it was approved uh, quite a long time ago, but never implemented um, because of legal issues between the underlying mall owner and uh, Lord and Taylor. Uh, and I, um, you know, I, I think you're exactly right. If uh, that store closes, there may be some possibility of Reinitiating um, some of the development discussions that had taken place on that property for for many years that had resulted in a sketch plan, but um, you know I think we're all going to be uh, uh, looking at a lot of new and different uh, economic opportunities as uh, this pandemic uh, hopefully comes to resolution. Absolutely, thank you. Any other questions? Okay. Uh, thanks very much for that report. And uh, do we have, we're going to stay on this same Teams call for the budget transfer request. Do we have the staff we need for that, Gwen? Yes. Um, I'm going to start off, but Karen uh, Warnick is on the call also, and she'll have some. Uh, additional detailed answers to any questions you may have. Um, we, uh, every year, do uh, a budget adjustment uh, towards the end of the year. Parks does one as well. They did theirs, I think, about two weeks ago. Uh, we're doing ours this week. And um, all budget adjustments that are over $50,000 require planning board approval. Uh, we have been, based on, again, comments that we had gotten from the board in the past, we have been working hard to uh, decrease the amount of lap savings that we have to disperse at the end of each year. And I'm, I'm very pleased to say this year we were down to 685000 Other years we've been well over a million. And I think that is um, a good testament to the fact that our uh, HR staff is, and all of our division chiefs are working very hard to fill vacancies. We currently, I think, have uh, the lo lowest vacancy rate we've had since I uh, came in as planning director in 2013. We only have about uh, eight vacant positions within the uh, whole department. So. That's great. Um, what we are recommending is that that uh, 685000 be transferred from personnel services to other services and charges. We've focused on spending the money on projects that are in our work program. They're not sort of, for the most part, new special initiatives. They're supporting things that we need, like the Silver Spring economic and traffic studies that will be needed as part of the Silver Spring plan, uh, studies related to Great Seneca, Science Corridor, 
some communications assistance for the um, corridor forward I-270 transit corridor, uh, some additional funding for our uh, complete streets design guidelines, which are almost finished, but need a little extra uh, money to, to finish off. Um, a uh, continuation of our partnership with the Center for Smart Growth, which we've had since uh, 2008, um, helping with that ULI advisory panel that I, I mentioned. And as always, some upgrades to our um, technology. We have uh, every year need to replace laptops and uh, do other kinds of upgrades to keep us uh, in the technological forefront, which is what we're trying, uh, trying to do. So um, if you have more detailed questions, Karen can respond, uh, but we are requesting your approval of this transfer. Does anybody have any questions or comments? No questions. This is Natalie, move approval. Uh, Jerry Seshi, second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're now going to need to dial into a new Teams call, which will be item six, Bannockburn Estate. So you should look for that on your calendar invite.
Hello? Hello? Am I on? No. Casey is speaking into the microphone. Time to begin item six, Bannockburn Estates. I want to do a quick uh, roll call to make sure we have everybody we need. Is uh, Matt Folden here? Yes, sir. Good morning. Very good. I'm going to assume Stephanie Dickel and Elsa are there as well. Um, yes, they are. And I don't see anybody signed up to testify in public, so I just want to uh, see if the applicant here is here. Is Casey Cerner there? I am here. Good morning. Nice to hear from you. Uh, and from the board, I see Jerry. Can you just right. clarify that you're And uh, Natalie, are you there? I'm here. And Pratap? I'm here. Very good. I think we can turn it over to Matt at this point. Thank you. Can the commissioner see my screen? Yes, we do. Uh, yes, Thank I you. can. Thank you. Good morning. For the record, Matthew Folden, Area 1, presenting Preliminary Plan Amendment 1-2006-067A, Bannockburn Estates. This seeks to reinstate the original preliminary plan approval and extend the adequate public facilities finding through May 31st, 2021. Staff is recommending approval of the requested preliminary plan reinstatement and extension of the adequate public facilities uh, period with the conditions enumerated in the staff report. And for the board's reference, this item does not seek to alter the original approval and instead focuses on reinstating that approval as permitted through section 50.4.2.H of the subdivision regulations. The 1.15 acre property is zoned R200 and is located in the northeast corner of the Selkirk Drive Helmsdale Road intersection, just south of River Road and east of Interstate I-495 in Bethesda. The 
site is subject to the 1990 Bethesda Chevy Chase Master Plan. And I'll just orient you quickly here. The site is shown in red on the screen. And uh, as I stated in the northeast corner, the primary day school is in the immediate vicinity. River Road is just to the north, and Holton Arms and the American Plant Nursery are just across River Road from the site. The preliminary plan, which is shown illustratively on the screen, obtained uh, planning board approval or subdivision of the subject property into two lots, one for each the existing single-family home and a new lot for the additional single-family house. Despite efforts by the applicant, the previous approval expired in August of 2018. And as I mentioned, there's no change to the intent of the original approval if the board reinstates the preliminary plan today. A brief summary of the practical difficulties and undue hardship experienced by the applicant is listed on the screen. Generally speaking, the, applicant, uh, the application was approved just before the 2008 recession and shortly after that approval, the applicant experienced a string of family emergencies and perhaps the most difficult of all, the applicant was required to remove part of his primary residence while he and his family continued to live in it to comply with condition five of the original approval. The applicant is present today and prepared to provide additional details or answer any questions the board may have on this justification. I do wanna just point out that the applicant has made good faith efforts to comply with the original approval, including the partial demolition of his home and uh, has already submitted a record plat for approval with the department. The application is consistent with the subdivision regulations, zoning ordinance, and the Bethesda Chevy Chase Master Plan, and adequate public facilities exist to serve the proposed development. All other findings are detailed in the staff report. We did receive one letter following posting of the staff report raising concerns about tree removals that occurred prior to the 2007 approval, the state of repair of an existing retaining wall, and that's in the current condition, and the Bannockburn Citizens Association covenants, which was also raised at the time of the original approval. Um, the applicant has submitted a response to those concerns, and they're also prepared to speak to it today, and I can answer any questions. Um, but each of these was really not subject of the reinstatement and was handled at the time of the original approval, with the exception of the retaining wall, which is an ongoing issue uh, with the adjacent property owner. Uh, with that, <clears throat> staff recommends approval of the conditions, I'm sorry, approval with conditions of preliminary plan 1-2006-067-A, Bannockburn Estates, as enumerated in the staff report. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, Cherry Sushi, I have a question. The uh, demolition of the building, that is to meet a, a property line setback for a, a separate dwelling? That's correct. Yes, it was a condition of approval under the original plan uh, to meet the side yard setback. I, I know from a you know future standpoint, we talk about infill housing. Is that something then that needs to be looked at if you were to do infill housing? That's more of a planning issue than this particular project. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I, <clears throat> I don't quite understand the question. Well, the, um, go ahead, please. In a way, this is kind of, they're doing another structure, kind of infill housing, if you will. But yes. just to achieve a setback, you had to demolish. Uh, could not something have been uh, or needs to be changed in the future that uh, the setback may be uh, waived in certain cases uh, so to not have to de demolish part of a building if you're doing infill housing? That's more of a right. planning issue. 
Right, I understand the question. Thank you for the clarification. Um, so what's on the screen here? And if you can see my cursor, uh, can you see my cursor along the common yes, property line right. between lot 16 yeah. and 17? The portion of the structure that was demolished is right in this area to meet the side yard setback. And that was really a zoning ordinance requirement. Um, and I think your question is more about should there perhaps be a change to the zoning ordinance? Long, yeah, long-term plan. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah um, I'm not sure if anyone else on the call wants to to respond to that question. I think this is to meet the letter of the law of the zoning ordinance, and it's sure. my understanding that a variance would be required um, to, to not meet that setback. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Are there any other questions or comments? Uh, I just wanted to say, for the record, if nobody else wants to, to uh, speak, that I had reviewed the uh, correspondence about the retaining wall, the tree clearing, uh, et cetera, and I concluded that these issues were either uh, not um, within our uh, purview, uh, were addressed in the prior uh, plan approval, or were simply not a basis for denial of the application. So uh, could we get a, a motion on this? Uh, Jerry says you have to make a motion to approve as recommended by staff and the resolution, if there's a resolution. Yes. There is a resolution. Yes. Second, this is Natalie. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is approved. And I think we're going to be a few minutes on this next item, but hold on one second. Dominique's going to tell me when will Jason Sartori be on. We're ready. So. Oh, he's ready. Okay. We can go straight to the next item. So just uh, hang up on this and call in for item eight, traffic counts, data collection policy.
AC is speaking into the microphone. Great. Okay, uh, we are going to talk about item eight, traffic counts data collection policy during COVID-19 pandemic. I see Jerry and it looks like yep. uh, Natalie and Parthop are there. I see their little icons. Um, I see Eric Gray. I think uh, Jason wanted to speak first and I see him down there somewhere. Jason, are you there? I am, yes. Okay, why don't you take it away? Great, thank you. Uh, good morning, uh, commissioners. Um, this is Jason Sartori for the record, the um, Chief of Functional Planning and Policy at the Planning Department. Uh, the pandemic and the ensuing stay-at-home orders, uh, obviously, uh, across the country have substantially lowered traffic volumes in our county. On March 13th, we uh, sent notification to our traffic consultants and also informed um, our planning staff that we would no longer be accepting any traffic study for planning or development review purposes based on any traffic counts that were taken on or after March 14th. Uh, in the interest of trying to find ways to uh, continue to, to have business proceed as much as possible as usual, uh, staff has contemplated several scenarios under which we would be able to accept existing traffic counts. Uh, and Eric uh, Gray will talk through those in a second, um, but I did want to also let you know that we've remained in frequent contact with our, um, uh, our colleagues in Prince George's County, and uh, what we're presenting to you today is uh, nearly identical to a recommendation that they brought to their planning board last month. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to, to Eric Gray. Good morning. Thank you, Jason. And so I'm going to bring up my, uh, try to share my screen. Hopefully everybody can see what I'm bringing up. Um, I have a um, very brief um, PowerPoint presentation that uh, I'm going to walk the board through. i share the screen here. And so hopefully everybody can see this. And basically, uh, as Jason said, um, uh, Eric, we, we, have Eric a, we don't see it. Uh, not, we don't see it. Maybe Dominique can. Does Dominique have it? She can she can put it up and and advance your slides for you if that's uh, easier. If you want to try, Eric, you need to press the square button with the arrow pointing up, and then remember to share the screen. You have to click the icon. Okay. Uh, well, I'm not there. Eric, I can share it if it's it's still the same if it hasn't changed. Okay, can you can you do that for me, Jason, please? Sure thing. Let me. I have it on my screen. If you want me to pull it up. Okay. Uh, I'll. Uh... Okay. 
There we go. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and in um, uh, moving forward, uh, we've uh, considered um, uh, three approaches for uh, moving forward with uh, traffic counts and also for the evaluation of uh, for use in, in support of the evaluation of traffic impact studies as well. And one was a growth factor approach where uh, in this context, if you have existing counts that were collected within the past three years and you want to bring those counts up to date, the idea is that you apply a growth factor and that growth factor would be based on historical data from the nearest SHA roadway. So in this context, if the existing counts were less than one year old, uh, you would not need to apply growth factor at all. But the traffic counts were, 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 then were, older, were within one to three years, then you would apply this uh, growth factor. And if the traffic count was more than three years old, the growth factor we would not even uh, consider those, those traffic counts and the growth factor would not be applied. Next slide. Uh, the other approach was to just uh, collect traffic counts. Uh, let's say let's say that we anticipate, we hope, hopefully that by the fall we'll be able to, to resume collecting traffic counts that we, as we normally did in the past. And in that context, we would collect traffic counts at some un, some, specif some specified date, sometime in the fall. We would make that determination at that time. And I think one thing that to be mindful of is the traffic counts we would collect will represent our Characterized as a new normal for traffic counts, those traffic counts would not be reflective of what we would have collected, let's say, in February of 2020 or earlier, but they would be a representative of the new normal in terms of how people are traveling at that time. I think there's a lot to be said that traffic counts will be lower in the fall because more people will be teleworking, or they could be higher because more people are not using transit as much because they don't want to be crowded on a metro train. So I think, but in any event, it would be it would represent the new normal for traffic uh, at that at that at that specified time. Next slide, please. And the other um, the other approach that we that we considered was uh, uh, applying an adjustment factor to traffic counts. Now, in that context, we would collect traffic counts. Traffic counts conceivably could be collected, let's say, today, and then to make those traffic counts, let's say, reflective of what they were, let's say, uh, in February of 2020, there would be a fact, an adjustment factor applied. But that requires a lot of engineering judgment or professional judgment, and we don't feel comfortable with, with using that approach. So we consider that approach, but we do not use it. Next slide. And so what we're recommending is a combination of uh, approaches one and two, the growth factor and collecting counts at a, at a, at a, at a, a date to be determined. So in that context, no new counts would be collected until the fall. Again, it's important to note this, at a date to be determined by staff. And then after that date, uh, traffic counts may be resumed uh, under the normal uh, existing guidelines, assuming that the pandemic-related uh, restrictions and conditions subside. So uh, what we're saying is uh, we'll, we'll, do a, we'll do an evaluation in the, in the fall to, make, to determine whether or not we can proceed as we have done in the past, but that determination is yet will be made at that particular time. Next slide. Now, in the interim between now and let's say the fall, what will we do for traffic impact study? Well, what we're saying is is that if a traffic impact study uh, in support of a preliminary plan or site plan, and uh, and it has existing counts that are 
for all of the critical intersections and that we've been, we've been talking within the past three years, then the applicant can move forward uh, using those traffic counts. But the date that determines whether or not it was it's within that three-year window is determined by uh, what we characterize as the 65-day deadline. And that's really uh, clarified in the first bullet on the slide. So any final, uh, uh, any final revised plan for an application that is scheduled before the planning board action must be submitted not less than 65 days before the planning board hearing date. So whatever that date is, uh, that, that would be the date that would, would determine the, uh, the benchmark for determining how, whether or not that traffic count is determined within uh, that three-year window. So this is a way of moving traffic counts, sorry, moving uh, uh, traffic impact studies forward and subdivision applications forward, uh, given the fact that we, um, that we have the situation with COVID-19. So uh, this is a process that we think is, um, is reasonable and rational. And as Jason said, it really largely mirrors what's being done in Prince George's County. And we think there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot to be said for being consistent in that regard. So with that, I think uh, I'll open it for discussion with the board and with others. Uh, Jerry says she just a question if you need uh, historic data, uh, the cameras that MCDOT State Highway, are they, do they keep some record of that previous traffic or is it all wiped off on a daily basis? Uh, well, basically what, what they do is they, they, they SHA collects historical, it collects traffic counts on a regular basis. And so what we're saying is we would use that information to uh, help us determine what the growth factors would be for the, for the, for the traffic counts that we would be using. Okay, so they, they've, anything visual, they've uh, turned into data specific. Yes, that's correct. That's okay. correct. Thank you. That's correct. Right. Correct. Right. Any other questions or discussion? We think this is a reasonable approach for moving forward, bottom line. So your proposal is on the, on the things that have come in where there's past data available, we could accept that. On the stuff that happens in the future, we're gonna ex look at a new normal. And is there any provision for some alternative methodology? In other words, if an applicant came in and said, we have another way of looking at it, would we be open to alternative ways of demonstrating what the traffic impact of a, of uh, a project would be and what the background traffic was? Uh, I think the short answer is, is yes. I think actually in, in the provisions for the, uh, the LATR guidelines, we say that, you know, in terms of determining, you know, what are the critical intersections, and I think also in terms of just how we actually maybe actually evaluate the traffic, that, uh, you know, if there are special conditions that are apparent, then uh, we can work with the applicant in that regard. And I think COVID-19 is clearly a special condition that uh, gives us some uh, way of, of, of doing that negotiation with the applicant. I think, uh, Mr. Chair, this is uh, Robert Cronenberg. I think for one of the examples that we had um, to, uh, in response to your question, we did have a case that had traffic counts that were done for another project but would have encompassed some of the same study area um, that that project would have uh, encompassed. And I think there may be some one-off type projects that that, that might um, apply to that I think we'd be able to uh, uh, accept 
and move forward. So I think Eric's response is yes. Uh, there, there's probably going to be some cases where that will apply and others where it may not. And we these are under the LATR guidelines, which are under our control, right? So we can we don't have to make a legislative change or even a formal change in the board's policy. We don't we don't think so. No, short right. answer is no. Yeah. Um, it might be useful though to put this uh, on the website, and so it can so it's clear, yes. because I can imagine that uh, opponents of various applications will. Uh, be unhappy if they get the sense that this is ad hoc or this is being done in a way that is just uh, for the benefit of one particular applicant. So I think it'd be good to formalize it in some way and put it on the website, even if part of that is to indicate that we're going to have some flexibility and ways to demonstrate uh, traffic impact. You know, the other, the other thought would be, you know, most projects don't get built right away. So if, if there's no traffic data available and you're not in a situation where you think the project would fail, but you're just trying to, like, figure out, like, what the payment should be for mitigation, well, I guess that doesn't usually happen. But I was just thinking maybe you could set the... If there's a payment involved that's dependent on what the traffic situation is, maybe you could agree to set the price prospectively at like the time of building permit. So if there was a preliminary plan, you could include a condition that said um, at the time of building permit there will be an updated traffic study submitted in the and any payment payment. Uh, but I mean, I guess the payments are all based on trip generation, right? So it doesn't. Doesn't really matter what background traffic is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, that all sounds reasonable to me. Anybody else have any comments or questions? No questions. Very straightforward. Thank you. Okay, great. So, uh, do we have Joe Zimmerman available, Dominique? He's he's available. So. He's on the next meeting. Okay, we have our last item teed up with Joe Zerman. So if you could all sign in or call in to item nine, consideration of proposals for park bonds. I'll see you in a minute. Thank Any you. Any action on this just we just covered or not? No? No, we don't need to vote. Okay, that's fine. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.
Casey, we need to test. Casey is testing the microphone. Okay, I see Josie, I see Jerry, I see Parthop and Natalie, so I think we're ready to go. Joe, uh, take it away with the proposal for sale of park bonds. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, I am joined today by, uh, for the record, Joe Zimmerman, Secretary Treasurer for the Commission. I'm joined today by Joe Mason and Jennifer Derrickson of Davenport and Company, our, our financial advisors on such matters as well as Cheryl Guth, our bond counsel. So if we have any questions, I believe we have everyone here uh, to, to address them. Uh, very briefly, in April, uh, the commission authorized the issuance of $10 million of park bonds to support ongoing projects uh, through the next fiscal year for Montgomery County side. Uh, this effort, and there were two paths to follow. One was to see if we could do a negotiated sale to a bank. Uh, the other was to do a public sale. We, we asked Davenport to put out requests for proposals to banks. They have done so. We've gotten back the bids. We like them. We think there is a, uh, uh, it's a reasonable thing to go ahead and award to the bank rather than try a public sale. Um, this will actually affect a little bit of a savings in our issuance cost, which is a good thing that helps offset some of our revenue losses in the park fund in 2020. Um, with that, I think the, the email I sent on Monday night and again last night is, uh, is explanatory and would welcome any questions you may have. Are there any questions or comments? Have you selected or is that to be selected? Uh, the recommendation is to award to Capital One at a uh, rate of 2.49% as shown on the uh, bid tabs. That accompanied the email. Okay, and then no fees as well. Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Right. Thank you. Could we get a Could we get a motion to approve that recommendation? Uh, Jerry Sishy, so moved. Do I hear a second? Second. All, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That is approved unanimously. And we're adjourned. Thanks very much. Uh, thank you, uh, Commissioner. If, yeah. if you could, there is a notice of award that you need to sign uh, that uh, Joyce said that she would have printed out for you. Okay. And that will be then sent on, and we will move forward. And I appreciate uh, your uh, allowing this to be done remotely. Thank you. No problem. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Bye, everybody. Okay, take, stay well. Bye.